Hello to all the rugby league diehards and welcome to another episode of Six to Go. My name is Tom Campbell and it's great to have your company. As we head into today's episode, you know how it works. We'll cover six topics related to the game or even their own career. My guest this week is Josh Hannay. Josh has been on several times this year and I'll get his thoughts on Cronulla's end of the season. Obviously didn't go the way he would have hoped. I'll get his thoughts on Nico Hines and the year he had. That did go the way that he would have hoped. I've got no doubt about that. Hope you enjoy our chat. Here's Josh Hannay. I'm joined by Cronulla assistant coach Josh Hannay as the next guest of the Six to Go podcast. Josh, it's great to have you back on. How are you? Yeah, very well. Uh, thanks for having me back on. No worries. Well, mate, it's a pleasure to have you on. And I'll get things kick-started with the Sharks finals games. Josh, I want to start with the Cowboys game because I feel like this is the game you and the rest of the Cronulla coaching staff would be more annoyed with. Is that a fair statement that when you think back on the two games in the finals, the Cowboys was the most disappointing? Yeah, certainly the one that got away. Um, you know, it was, uh, it was an interesting game in that I think um, on the evening, both teams, um, with all due respect, were probably a little bit loose with, with their footy. Um, in terms of finals football, finals football is generally a higher intensity around your defence and your, your kick-chase games and things like that. And I think you look at the nature of certainly the Cowboys' tries. Like our, our, I thought our defence on the night, when you look at the way they scored their points, was really uncharacteristic from us and there was a real sort of softness to it. You think of the, um, the Tom Dearden try straight through our middle, uh, the Peter Hiku try, um, again, just a one-on-one miss um, from one of our guys. Um, all their tries, yeah, just had a, had a, had a you know, without taking anything away from the Cowboys, there was a sort of a soft undercurrent to it. So I thought uh, with all that being said, you know, up by eight with eight minutes to go, um, I think you know, they're certainly, we're in a situation there where we've, you know, we've got to close those those games out. And and I guess the teams that are proven and have been at the pointy end of the ladder for a long while now, they don't let those opportunities slip. And and we certainly did that night, an opportunity to go straight through to a preliminary final. Um, so we've, um, you know, we've uh, reviewed it, sort of still digesting it. I don't think, um, to be really frank, I don't think we've fully moved on from it. It was a really... It was a real gut punch, and I think it's certainly. Um, I think you look at the way we played the following week against the Rabbitohs. It was certainly, I think, still in the back of the minds of all our players as well as an opportunity that 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 was missed. And 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 um, yeah, as I say, I think you look at the way we played the following week. It's hard not to think that it wasn't sort of weighing on our on the players' minds throughout the week and the build up to that game. Josh, I totally agree. While while it was an entertaining game, I definitely don't think it was the highest quality, uh, particularly um, defensively. And I, I know hindsight's twenty twenty, and I don't want to sound like a, a know-it-all, but I actually thought after that game, both teams were in trouble going forward in the finals. And I, I thought definitely both teams have played better at various stages throughout the year. What was the level of concern that you guys might not have been playing your best at the, at the end of the year after that game? Um, yeah, I think... As I say, that, that that performance defensively certainly against the Cowboys was really uncharacteristic. You know, we finished, well, they finished, I think, I think we finished within about four points of each other in terms of finishing second and third on um, the defensive ladder. So both teams had proven throughout the course of the season uh, defensively um, two, two really good sides. But for whatever reason on that night, I think, 
I think to be fair, the nature of our tries, we had to play some really good footy to, to pull the Cowboys apart that night. I think all all of our tries came from some, some, some good good play, good shape. Um, and, and we knew we, you know, again, we're playing a team that was second uh, on the ladder over the course of the regular season defensively. So we were prepped and primed to have to play some good football to score our points. And, and I, yeah, I just think from our point of view, I just it was a really uncharacteristic performance, whether or not the, um, the occasion got to our guys, whether or not we were... Um, sometimes in occasions like that, because we talk a lot about detail with our preparation and going into games, we pride ourselves as coaches on having uh, coaching detail and, and making sure our guys are are prepared for all the, the little parts to the game because we feel like we get that right. The big, you know, the, the overall outcome will, will sort itself out. But it seemed like that on that occasion, on that night, our, just the detail wasn't there for our guys, and, and they've usually been very good with that. And then again, I've got no doubt that there was mental scars going into the, the following week when we played South. Because once again, I thought that was a performance where we were just lacking in real detail. Um, you could see our guys weren't um, focused. Um, they you know, got exposed by, a, 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 I guess, a, a red-hot South Sydney team. So I think, you know, you look at both finals games, uh, potentially, you know, some really good lessons there for us as a young squad moving, looking into the future. Like, it's a, it's a different level. Um, we certainly, um, I guess, didn't put our best foot forward and we need to really make sure we're clear on the reasons why that was, um, look at our preparation, look at our mindset, look at our focus, because uh, what held us in really good stead all year, as I say, was was the level of detail we went into each game with, and the players were really good at taking the messages from us coaches, but for whatever reason, um, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to the bottom of it, for whatever reason, in the finals, we're a little bit loose with our footy. Not too many people would have had the Cowboys as a top four team uh, heading into the year. Um, what part of their team or their year has impressed you the most? Oh, well, I think it's clear. Um, you look at um, the, the representation throughout the Origin Series, you know, I think there was half a dozen guys involved in the Queensland setup. Um, you know, Jordan McLean um, was picked, uh, ultimately got injured prior to Game 3. Um, so I think one of the things that happened, and of course, you know, he's not eligible for state of origin, but you know, Jason Taumalolo was back to his, his best as well, arguably the best forward in the game when he's at his best, Jace. So I think certainly um, some young guys jumped out of the ground and possibly um, got to a level that um, was expected of them, but a year or two sooner, guys like Jeremiah Nenai, uh, Murray Tualangi, Tommy Gilbert, Tom Deard, and these, these guys certainly probably peaked... Um, perhaps earlier than anyone had anticipated. Um, and I think the fact that they all have kind of peaked, they're all on a very similar trajectory. And the fact that they're all kind of hitting their ceiling at a similar time, I think has created a bit of a perfect storm up there. And then I think that young, fresh energy has no no doubt brought out the best in some of their senior guys, like Jordan McLean, as I touched on, uh, Jason Talalolo, reinvigorated, um, and then, obviously, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Chad Townsend and his influence since coming to the club. And, um, you know, from what I've seen, and, and this is just, I haven't watched every, certainly every minute of every game they've played, but to me, Chad's been Chad. He's, he's gone up there and he's um, delivered exactly what they, I guess, were, were hoping they were going to get from Chad when they signed him, that, I guess, calming influence. Um, uh, he's, you know, he's made a name for himself over the years as um, being a guy that can, 
add real polish to the end of sets for teams, get a team around the foot, footy park. So he, I think, when you look at that mix of youth and um, talent um, all springing up together and, and you get those older guys, as I say, finding a, um, their best and you get that steadying hand at half, it, all of a sudden, yeah, there's, there's sort of a recipe there for the success that they've had. And, you know, in behind that, there's obviously a lot that's gone on. They've worked really hard. They've, they've um, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that have gone on behind the scenes. But clearly, I, I think there's, you know, you look at the dynamic of their football team between the talent, the youth, the, the experience, um, some strong forwards and some good leadership. That you know, it's, while it's sort of seemingly come from nowhere, when you actually look at it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a certainly a good recipe up there. Let's go on to the next week. Uh, first of all, you guys beat South about a month earlier in a really close game. Why was this game so different? Yeah, good question. Because that that night was a real arm wrestle. That was a um, you know that was a, a really physical contest. Um, and it, it was more semi-final like that game, I would say, than 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 um, certainly the game we played them uh, that uh, last week. So um, I think at that time, and, and we'd just been beaten by Penrith the week before, uh, twenty to ten out of Penrith um, against the full-strength Penrith team. And funnily enough, that loss it was um, I think our only loss out of the last maybe ten or eleven games. I think I'm correct in saying that, but. Um, it was actually a loss where we gained a lot of confidence. Out of going out to Penrith, we led 10-0, um, started really well. We really actually took it to them on the night. And um, as they tend to do, Penrith, they just grinded and grinded and grinded and, 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 and wore us down ultimately. But we actually came away from that going, well, we felt like we could be better and we really pushed the Premiers there. So we played South the following week. And um, I thought it was a... A, a sort of a fortnight where we really held our gloves up and got a lot of belief as a group um, and as a club and as a coaching staff in what we're doing and, and that our game was a game that could um, hold up, stand up uh, to the rigours of, of uh, semi-final intensity. So um, it, it was it the was a, a kind of game where, again, that, that helped us springboard into the back end of the year. I know the back end of the year was well documented. We, we didn't play um, what you would term um, some of the better teams or the top teams in the competition. Uh, we played a lot of the bottom sort of half dozen sides, Canterbury, Tigers, Newcastle, uh, the like. So um, you never know. People talk about you run in and having the right run in and a hard run in being the right run in and certainly not making any excuses. But maybe maybe the run in against some of those lesser teams um, actually took the, the, the hard edge off us and took the, the, the polish off us because... As I say, I thought that sort of half a dozen weeks out from the end of the comp where we played, we had a run of the Melbourne Storm, uh, Dog, uh, Cowboys, um, Penrith, South. That we felt like that was we really held our gloves up, but certainly, um, yeah, we weren't able to replicate our, our best form when we got, got to uh, the finals, unfortunately. They had the jump on you guys really early. Did that surprise you? No, it didn't surprise us. Um, it was certainly not um, the start we'd want. Um, you know, they they were the team, I guess, coming into the game with momentum and we were the team coming into the game, um, I guess, a little bit wounded. So I think the start was always going to be critical for, for probably more so us than them. As I say, they were on a roll. We, we needed to hit the ground running to, I guess, put the demons of uh, the previous week behind us as quick as we could. And, and unfortunately, it just didn't pan out. Their, their confidence was high. They started well. 
Um, and we were just chasing our tail the entire night. You know, the second half, we, you know, we, we got ourselves back into it. I think um, there were a couple of turning points where I think we were possibly coming for them. There was the Jesse Ramian offside on the kick chase, which uh, we scored off the back of. That was disallowed. And then I think it was at 24-12 again. I felt like we were finally getting a little bit of ascendancy. And there was the simple knock-on error from uh, mis- miscommunication between Matt Moyle and Teague Wilton. And I just think that was basically a, ref- a reflection of our, our, our night and probably our mindset. We just weren't we weren't quite there um, uh, in terms of our detail and our focus where it needed to be to to really, you know, put our best foot forward and give ourselves the best chance of winning on the night. Can, can I ask what your gut feeling was before that game? Because South, South, they had the loss to the Roosters in the last round of the um, regular season, but they were flying otherwise. Was there a gut feeling of concern there pre-game by yourself? Uh, I, know if, I wouldn't say concern, but certainly a lot of respect. I, I, um, they're, a, they're a side that I think probably every other team in the comp respects and, and, and fears uh, their, their attacking prowess. Um, and, and guys like, you know, Cody Walker and uh, Latrell and Cameron Murray in the middle and um, you know, Damien Cook out of dummy half, they, they're, they're a really potent football side. And certainly when their tails are up, they're, they're, they're extremely difficult to, 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 to beat. So um, I was under no illusions as were any of us as to the, the challenge that they were going to be, um, particularly, as we say, with their tails up. Um, they're, they're just such a well-supported club as well South when, when they're going well there's this wave of support and we knew going into that that stadium on that night that um, they were going to have the groundswell of support and uh, they're going to be really confident football side and, and on the front foot so certainly aware of of the challenge um, and, and, and as I say probably um, the thing that I was most concerned of was not necessarily the opposition, but just what the pro- previous week, just the impact that that actually was having on our guys mentally. Um, it, it's hard to tell. Like they always, footballers are really good at telling you what you want to hear, and we're, you know, very mindful of getting them back up after that loss to the Cowboys. But probably my biggest concern going into South was just you know the the, un- the immeasurable impact that that game actually was having on our players' mindset. Yeah. Josh, let's move on to something a little bit more positive, and that's the year that Nico Hines had. Uh, by my guess, the worst he will finish is third in the Dally M. Uh, were you surprised by how well he went in really what a lot of people forget was his first year of being a guaranteed member of the starting 13? Yeah, I think I think ultimately probably, yeah, I was surprised. I think, I think we knew we were getting a really good footballer um, based on what we'd seen um, in his sort of small... Um, opportunities he, he had at Melbourne. We, uh, I was really excited about the talent that Nico was and, and, and what, as I say, what I'd, what I'd seen. Um, but I think to, to you know, looking back on it and to see where he's gotten to with his football this year, and as you say, he's going to be right up the pointy end and the Dally M's, um, his first, basically his first full season of first grade in the NRL. Um, and in a position that he's basically never played at halfback, um, I think, yeah, I think he's exceeded everyone's expectations. Probably his own as well. He's a he's a quietly confident guy. Nico, he's, he's, he backs himself and he believes in himself, and that's one of his real strengths. Um, but I think I think even he um, 
you know, coming to a new club, um, a lot of responsibility. Um, no, we internally didn't set crazy expectations for Nico, but I think I think he had set some high expectations for himself. And I guess, you know, that that position, the halfback position, it's 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 one of the most key positions in Australian sport, a halfback in rugby league. Um, so. Um, so critical to, to your, your, your fortunes as a football side. So it was taken on a, a lot of responsibility. Um, and I just, I think it's such a credit to him where he got to with his football. Um, and, you know, he's still, hopefully the, the, the cherry on the, the cake is coming for him with selection in the Australian team after the grand final on Sunday. You know, I think he deserves it for the season he's had. And, and I think, um, yeah, I think... Given the year he's had, and the the guy I've seen develop the leadership, um, I'd like to think that what he's done this season is 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 not the ceiling for Nico. I feel like I feel like he can get better. I feel like um, he's determined to get better, and I feel like he's always got this thing with him, Nico. Given the journey he's had um, to get to where he's gotten to with his football and life, I feel like he's. He's got that um, constant determination to not necessarily prove people wrong, but to prove himself right and prove his own belief right to others that um, he is he is an elite player in this competition. So, yeah, I think he's had an amazing year, but I, I do I do believe that um, there's still more in him there. Just based on the ability to play as many positions as he does, you'd have to think he'd be a, a really good chance for the World Cup side. So you think that you know you take him and Matt Burton, you pretty much cover everyone one to seven. Yeah, I think he's a really strong chance. I really do. I, I, um, you know, I know there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of, I guess, um, hype around Matt Burton. I think I think Nico for now. I think he's got Matt, you know, covered in terms of his ability to play half. I think um, there's more strings to Nico's bow. I think he's I think he's um, produced at a higher level, at the highest level. Um, more regularly than that, so I'd like to think if it if it came down to a, a choice between those two guys, that Nico would get the nod. Um, I think his year's just been outstanding, and I think his form warrants it. So you know, I, I really have my fingers crossed for him. Um, it's going to be a strong Australian team, a strong touring party. Um, a lot of great players vying for those sort of positions. That, um, you know, you think about the one six, um, even centre dynamic is Munster, Tedesco, Jack White, and um, Latrell Mitchell, there's, there's these guys that can play uh, more than one position. So I don't think it's a given that Nick will be in that team because of the versatility of, of some of Australia's key players. But I'd like to think he's, he's, he's going to be really close there. Where could he improve, Josh? Where, what's the next step of Nico in his development? Um, without giving too much away, I think one of the things... Um, you know, I, I run the attack at the club, so I'm, I'm working closely with him all the time. And... I think um, with that, one of the things I've noticed and, and always talking to Nico about is his control in his game. I think, and that and that was always the thing we knew would probably uh, be most challenging for Nico, having not been a seven um, coming through the grades, is that just that uh, ability and awareness for what's needed, uh, and and often what's needed is is just a nice kick into a corner. Or, or just a complete set, just just kick the football back to the opposition. And, and Nico's mindset, he, he just loves playing footy, and he's a dream to coach for that reason. He, I've coached guys that you, you, 
you've actually you've got to push them and, and, and prod them and encourage them constantly to, to actually play football. They're so concerned about making mistakes that they go out there and they just they don't actually play what they see. Whereas Nico's Nico's completely the opposite. And it's a, as I say, it's a joy to coach someone that like that. They're just out there always looking for opportunities to create. Um, but with that, I think um, the, the great halves over the years and over time have always had the knack of knowing when to you know, play within themselves and, and not look so much to create but look to build pressure. And So I think just that element of his craft as a half is, is, is I think, the thing that he's going to need to work on the most and it's the thing that we're always constantly talking about and, and, and trying to improve with his game already, yeah. Josh, I'd like to ask you how you plan for the off-season in a World Cup disrupted year. How do you handle some players potentially training a month more than some others? And also, if a player is moving clubs this off-season, they won't actually get to the new club until about a month later than others. Uh, is there any type of specific things you put into place for those guys? Yeah, it's a real, it's a good question. It's a juggling act. I think, I don't know if there's a club that in the competition that won't be affected by the World Cup in terms of players being away for it and having to start back late with their pre-season training. I think we'll have up to, um, I think, half a dozen guys um, um, missing or returning late to, to training, sorry, due to their World Cup commitments. Um, the way pre-season's approach these days has changed um, from how it was back in my day. It's a staggered start now, so um, going by um, how, how many games you've played, how many pre-seasons you've done. So, for instance, a rookie who's done... Um, zero to two pre-season. I think they'll, they'll start back on the 4th of November for us. And then um, and then I think the next crop will come back on, on the 25th of November. And then our World Cup guys, uh, they'll only come back till January. So we'll essentially have three start dates. Um, so it'll be, it'll be um, a little bit um, dysfunctional pre-Christmas. There'll be... Um, some quality missing. Obviously, your better players are over there involved in the World Cup. Um, but I think the good, you know, I'm always trying to look at positives to, 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 to challenging situations. And one of the positives is is that it gives you an opportunity as a coaching group to have a closer look at training at guys in positions that normally wouldn't be in that position because um, there might be the second string half or the second string hooker or or, or things like that. So what it does is it gives you an opportunity to, to further upskill those young players and, and give them more time in their key positions than they'd normally get. Um, so for mine, that's the positive. And when we get everyone together come come January, uh, I'd like to think that, yeah, we've, 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 um, we've bridged the gap, I guess, if you'd like, from the... You know the, the rookies of our squad um, to the front liners by those guys getting more opportunity and more reps in the, in the pre-Christmas block. Just on the World Cup, if you guaranteed me health, I, I give New Zealand every possible chance to win it. I, I know Samoa and Tonga have good teams, but winning the whole tournament's probably another thing. I certainly don't think this is the strongest English team in the past few World Cups. Do you still have Australia's firm favourites, or can you see another team potentially taking it out this year? Yeah, I've got a probably agree. I've probably got New Zealand. I know Australia are perennial favourites, um, um, but I, I look at it, I looked at the, that mid-year test and the, the team New Zealand trotted out. And um, I look at their team and I, I've probably got them as slight favourites, to be really honest. I, I think they're cherry right, the New Zealand team. And I think all things being equal and, and, and um, all nations getting through unscathed and 
their best players available, that the New, New Zealand team just jumps off the pace um, at me. So I think with that, I, I just think for the first time in my lifetime, we're going to be looking at a uh, an international series that's not um, not basically down to two two teams. Over the years, Australia's always been there, and in, in England and New Zealand have fluctuated between being sort of number two and number three uh, at different times over over my time anyway. And I think you're looking at probably five nations. You had Tonga and Samoa. The Samoans look extremely strong. Tonga obviously have um, announced themselves in the recent years of, of being a new force on the world stage. So I'm really excited as a, as a lead project for the first time in my, as I say, in my lifetime. I feel like there's five nations at the World Cup that are, that are um, on their day and are going to really um, be going hammer and tongs at it. And I think I think Australia and New Zealand are still at, at the top and they, they, they are the two best nations. But I think the other three, um, England, uh, Samoa and Tonga, I think if, if, if Australia and New Zealand are slightly off or, or, or do um, get any injuries, I do think those other three sides actually have the ability to, to step up on, the, on any given night. So... I'm really excited about that for the Australian game and uh, for the international game, sorry. And, and um, I think it's going to be a great series, yeah. I know you've probably got a little bit of a bias there due to the Queensland connection, but can I, can I ask you who you'd start at halfback? Because the, the, the <laughs> Daly and Nathan, mate, Nathan is playing out of this world at the moment, but Daly, of course, is the incumbent. Yeah, it's, it, it's um, oh, you know, I'd... Nathan is is um, an incredible player. Possibly, I, I possibly, you know, I think of the best players in our game currently. He's, he's one of he's been the top three for mine with Tedesco and Cameron Munster. Um, he's that good. Um, but in saying that, I think I think Australian Test teams of all, whether you look at cricket or, or rugby league or rugby, I think the incumbent generally has to do something wrong or really fall off a cliff to fall out of those Aussie teams, I think, um, with their form. I think, um, and I'd like to think Daly hasn't done that. I think what he did in origin to lead Queensland um, to, that, to that series of victory um, can't be can't be forgotten. I know it seems like a while ago now, but it can't be forgotten, and I don't think the selectors and, and the coach, Mel Meninga, will forget that. Um, and... I just think he's, he's still playing well enough uh, daily to, to warrant um, being the halfback for Australia. Um, is he as good a player or playing better than Nathan Cleary as we speak? Probably not. Um, but as I say, history suggests that um, it's, 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 if you're still playing at a level that warrants your selection in the Australian team, it's really the selectors generally uh, stick solid. So Big call though. I don't think anyone would would um, be surprised if Nathan was picked, but I, I, I'd be leaning towards Daly at this point. Both will be on the plane. There's no there's no doubt about that. I've seen some great halfback comp, 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 competitions over the years. I remember when I was a kid, sort of you know ten, eleven, twelve, and it was Ricky Stewart and Alfie Langer um, through that sort of period, and it was and it, it honestly, it, it, I think it ultimately came down to who would work best with the five eight. Um, and I think that'll be part of the um, the discussion when they look at Daly and Nathan. It will actually be okay. Who's, who's actually going to gel better with with their five eight? And if the five eight's Cameron Munster, I think that, which I think we'd all expect, I think that really um, does help Daly's case. So 
think over the years there's been some wonderful Australian halfback um, um, competitions, as I say, and this one is, is no different. Well, look at Joey. Joey didn't play half in, in quite a few Australian games. He played dummy half. So. Yeah, yeah. So it's an embarrassment of riches. And I think I think the thing, though, because the competition's so stiff, uh, as we're talking about um, with those, those other nations over there, one thing that Australia will need to do is get their team right. I don't think they've got the luxury of, of getting it wrong. I think they need to work out really quickly what their best team is, what their best combinations are in that spine, um, because they don't, as I say, they just don't have the luxury to get it wrong because those, those other nations are so strong now. Josh, after the past couple of years, you've turned into one of the most talked about upcoming coaches in the game. Uh, after taking over last year under difficult circumstances and doing well to origin success and then the Sharks making the top four this year at Cronulla, uh, have you had discussions about your own career with Craig Fitzgibbon? Because 18 months ago, he was in, a, in, in the exact same situation you are in now. So I'm just wondering if he's passed on in any advice about your situation. Um, yeah, it's actually really interesting. Um, when he first took over... Um, I think we're maybe a month or so into the job, we sat down one day and we just had a good chat about because we were still getting to know each other at that point, myself and Craig. I'd, I'd only spoken to him over the phone. I hadn't really known, I didn't know Craig and he didn't know me. So, um, But after a month, we, we sat down one day in his office and, and did talk about um, just footy in general, um, his, I guess, career path, uh, my career path. He was extremely complimentary um, at that meeting in, in, in that he, you know, from what he sort of seen within that first month that I was a I was a head coach in waiting and um it was really good to I guess get his um thoughts and, and opinions in that in that in that discussion about how he approached his own development and, and and I guess waiting waiting for the right opportunity and and I, I do feel like um having spoken with Craig it it sort of has helped me and given me some some clarity with my own um I guess decision making, if you like, around around being a head coach, and and, and certainly the one thing I've I've, I've I've come to, or the one um, thing that I think is important, is that I, I'm determined to wait for the right opportunity, and and um, I'd like to think, you know, I'm proving myself every every year and getting better every year and being associated with with success, um, certainly over the last eighteen months. So. Um, I'd like to think when the time's right, um, the right opportunity will present itself. So it's something that I'm not um, desperate for. I'm not. I'm not sort of waking up every morning hoping that there's an opportunity to be a head coach somewhere because I just when the time's right, I, I, I really feel like it'll it'll be right. Um, not only for myself, but it'll be the right opportunity for for, for whatever club is looking for a. Uh, you know, a good coach. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be really patient with it, to be honest. And, um, and certainly part of what helps that, mate, in, in that being, being able to be patient is I'm in a really good situation here at Cronulla. I'm working with a great coach in Craig. I'm working with a great roster, um, wonderful players to coach, great club. Um, so um, professionally, um, I'm in as good a position as I've ever been, I feel, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy going to work every day. So while ever that's there, there's not sort of that, that, that feeling of desperation to want to be a head coach. I'm, I'm going to, as I say, be patient and wait for the right opportunity. Just on Fitzy, what's, what's it been like working with him for a, almost a full year now? Yeah, it's been great. I've got to say, um, he, you know, he's bitterly disappointed with the way our season finished. Um, it's one of those things, you know, we, I think, you know, people always say, oh, 
at the start of the year, you know, if we'd had, if someone had said, yeah, blah, 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 you know, you would have taken it. And, and I think at the moment it's all a little bit fresh for Fitzy to kind of see the forest for the trees, if you like. Like, I think all he, all he can see and feel at the moment is the disappointment of, of, of our final series. It, it's hard for him to, to, to sort of look beyond that and look at um, where he started with the group where he got to the group um, at the regu- at the end of the regular season, finishing second, I think, for the first time since maybe 99. So at the moment, it's, 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 he's, you know, it's just really um, overcome with disappointment about our final series. But um, the one thing I said to him is that, you know, for, for a guy, a first-year coach, um, I've worked with some really good coaches and I've been really privileged to. For a guy, as I say, he, this is his first year as a head coach, um, I've learned so much off him, and he, this is his first year doing it. So, he, he, I think it's a real testament to the patience that he had, and 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 the and the way he just developed himself, developed himself in a really good system there at the Roosters, to the point where when he decided it's time, it, it was clearly the right time. And um, really good coach, he's going to be one of the best coaches in the game for the next, you know, fifteen twenty years, as long as he wants to do it. Um, you know. I, it just just oozes quality. Wonderful person. Um, um, great to work with. Um, great teacher. Very very um, giving with his time, his expertise. He's very trusting. He's. I've loved the uh, autonomy that he's given me to do my uh, role. I know the players uh, love playing for him. So as I say, um, while I'm in a situation like that, um, I'm loath to jump into something that I'm, I don't quite feel right about. So yeah, really happy. Um, to be at the club and working under Craig. We'll finish with the grand final, mate. Penrith or Parramatta and why? Uh, you got to go Penrith just because they don't beat themselves, I think. <laughs> um, it's a real hallmark of prem- good premiership teams over the years and they're, they're probably gone beyond being a good premiership team. They're, they're on the brink of doing something that's um, been proven to be really difficult in winning back-to-back premierships or in their third grand final in a row. And they don't beat themselves. You know, it's, 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 um, it's, it's such a tough game when you play Penrith. You, you can bring your best, um, and sometimes your best just isn't good enough because they're never too far away from their best. So I think it'll be a... I think it'll be a great game. I think it'll be a close game. I don't think I don't think Penrith um, will blow Parramatta away by any stretch. I think Parramatta, the thing they've got going for them is they've been one of the few teams, probably over the last eighteen months, that has shown that they're not fearful of Penrith. Um, they they very nearly beat them in last year's final series to knock Penrith out. Uh, they beat them earlier this year at Penrith. So I think Parramatta have clearly the belief and clearly a game that troubles Penrith. But I also don't see the same consistency in Parramatta that I see in Penrith. Parramatta can be a little bit up and down, um, but Penrith, um, I, I just tell me the last time they played a bad game. You know, like they they are a juggernaut, they're a machine, and um, I just think that consistency will hold them in really good stead, and they'll win by six. When you when you watch Penrith and South the other night, tell me if you agree with this, Josh. South played the absolute perfect thirty minutes to start the game, yet went into halftime at twelve all. Now, some people can say, you know, those certainly one of those tries, the Brian Toto try, was a little bit lucky towards the end of that half there. But I can also say that they were unlucky to not score fifty that night with some of the tries that they didn't they didn't allow. Um, that's at halftime. I thought it was pretty ominous for South. Were you thinking the same thing? <laughs> 
Yeah, I thought I thought South couldn't have um, played any better or couldn't have asked for a better start in that first sort of half an hour. So they gave themselves every chance with that start. But again, it's just it's it's such a credit to Penrith um, to, to be twelve nil down after half an hour in a in a game of that magnitude. I, I can't tell you how difficult it is to stay the course and and and, and just understand your own game and and not. Not not panic and not not start chasing the score and, and and starting to react to the score. It's it's one of the great challenges as a coach to 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 instill that belief in a group that um, no matter what the start is, no matter what the situation is, we'll play our game and and that's what they do. And and to your point, when they got it back to twelve all at, at half time, you really felt like, well, wow, how did, how did that happen? South have been so good in that first half an hour, and they're going to go into the sheds all tied up and. And you just always felt that this Penrith were just going to continue to 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 to, to grind and grind and grind, and and, and they did. Um, and I thought ultimately, as you say, like the scoreline, they won by twenty points. Ultimately, they could have won by more, and 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 that's saying something given the fact that they were really on their heels for the first half hour of the game. I personally do feel they'll come back to the pack a lot next year with the losses of Kikau and Coruscant. I still think they're a top four team, but I, I think Coruscant's in the best form of his career, and Kikau was either man of the match the other night or second to Dylan Edwards. But as as of right now, Josh, they're just so good. If Param, if Parramatta are to win, what do you see as being the points of emphasis of this week, or after the game, what do you think we'll be saying about what they did right? Yeah, I think. Um... When Parramatta are charging and they're at their best, um, they're very dominant through the midfield. They're, um, Regan Campbell-Gillard off the back fence, Junior Paulo, um, really good power game. They've, they've got a, a big pack. They've got a mobile pack, and and they can be really you know, physical when they're when they're on top of their game. And and when that creates that platform for guys like Dylan Brown and, and Mitchell Moses, then to have a little bit of space and time to. To, to move and, and, and I guess create for their for their edges. So um, for mine, their only chance on on Sunday night is to be quite dominant through that that the middle third of the game. I think you know we talk a lot about Nathan Cleary's uh, kicking game. It's, it's 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 elite. I think Mitchell Moses is probably one of the few halves in the game where he matches up pretty well. He doesn't have the um, variety of kicks that that Nathan does, but he's certainly um, he's got it down to a fine art that what we call a jail kick, the high kick, landing it down inside uh, the opposition 10. Um, so I think the kicking games will be almost cancel each other out. I think Penrith have an edge uh, on their edges. I think their edges are, are more potent than, than Parramatta's. So I think, though, if, if they can not hold the middle, they need to dominate the middle. They need to be their, their brutal best Parramatta in the middle third. I think that's their, their best chance of um, of winning on the night. And I think if they win, I think we'll be everyone will be talking about Paulo, uh, Campbell, Gillard, Reed, Marnie, um, their dominance through the middle third. Well, Josh, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Sixty O podcast. So you're someone I get a lot of messages about from people wanting you back on, and you give tremendous insight. So thanks so much for coming on. No, I appreciate it, mate. It's always good to to get on. Um, love what you're doing, and yeah, um, keep up the good work, mate. A big thanks to Josh for coming on the show today and all throughout the year. I've got no doubt in the world he'll be a head coach one day, so to get his insights into the game now is really great. By the way, if you want to get in contact with me, you can on Twitter at TCanfell, and don't forget to give the 60 Facebook page a like as well. 
My name is Tom Canfield. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And until next time, this has been the 60 Go Podcast, and that is full time.